Wow, we are at the end of 1 Timothy. Can you believe it? 33 sermons, and uh, we're at the end. As we finish, Paul is really zeroing in. I mean, he has talked to so many different groups throughout this this incredible letter. I, I have thoroughly enjoyed studying this, preaching this, learning from this, and uh, he's spoken to men, he's spoken to women, he's spoken to false prophets and false teachers, he's spoken to elders, and now he comes today. What, what would you guess that he, would, that he would pick as a group to wrap it up? I don't know that I would have picked this group, but then I'm not God. So God the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write to Timothy as a young pastor and then to the entire church at Ephesus and then by extension some 2,000 years later or so to the church at Heritage. And he's speaking about incredible privileges and responsibilities. And that's the first thing you need to see. Because I think our tendency is to read a passage like this and all of a sudden we feel put upon. And this is not that. This is a passage that speaks to a particular group and he's just charged us and them, of course, to complete our commission. And now he comes to the end and I'm going to Just take a summary statement. You've heard these words before. He reminds all of us, I don't care what your age, all of us to invest, to invest our time, our talents, our treasure, and the truth in advancing the great commission of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so everything he said has been, hey, guys, sound doctrine leads to godly living, and there is no better place to end by focusing on godly living as it relates to what we do with our money. Let's just do a wrap-up statement of all that we've talked about. It's found here in 1 Timothy chapter 6, 9 and 10. Uh, Actually, it's 6. That should be 6, 6 and 10. I just noticed that. There is great gain in godliness with contentment. And boy, what a revelation that was to me several weeks ago, and I shared a little bit about that. You need to go back and listen to that because it's not just godliness that we're after. It's sure not just goodness that we're after. It is godliness with contentment. And then he jumps down to verse 10, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, it is through this craving, there is an attitude there, a getting, a grabbing attitude that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many a pain. So I've got three points as we walk through this last part of the study. We're going to read this together. You're seated. We normally read it at the first, but we're going to read this so we can come back and focus what does What does God, through Paul, say to Timothy? What does he say to us? How do we respond to this? First thing, I believe this wraps it up as a thought. 
Be generous with God's abundant gifts. And here's the group to whom he is writing in this church, in our church. As for the rich, again, I, just humanly speaking, would be surprised if I would have ended the letter like this, but God knows best. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be high-minded, not to be haughty or proud, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are, who's that they? The rich are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. And as we begin to apply this and and draw out the meaning, let me pray over us. Father, I thank you again for the the marvelous time of worship, just an expression that, uh, that, that that was so right on target, the words to these songs that we've been singing. Thank you that you attended our worship, and the worship was for you. And we pray that we would help get our filters correct. The worship isn't for us, it was for you. And so, Lord, we thank you for that, and we pray now that this time of worship, and it is worship as we take your word, we open it, we try to lead out some of the meanings. I know that I will not be exhaustive in it, but rather we will pick out the things that seem to apply to us. And so, Lord, I pray for help for myself. I pray for help not only as I preach, but as I receive the word that, that you are giving to me. And I pray that all of us would be able to respond. And Lord, be your stewards for your glory and for the good of your people. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So what's the message for us? The message is this. Now listen, listen. I wrote this down, then I scratched out some words. This is so important. I'll talk about this for a second. I wrote down first, give what God has given to you. Now, that sounds good, doesn't it? But then after studying for a while, and I usually go through several several renditions of, of, of my notes until I get to the final Sunday morning ones. And so somewhere along the way, I said, no, this isn't right. This is not good theology, not give what God has given to you, but steward, write down that word, steward what God has entrusted to you. And if you have that attitude We're talking about money right here and wealth and things and possessions. We're talking more broadly about everything with which God has entrusted to you. Again, your time, your talents, your treasure, the truth. It will absolutely change. It will radically alter the way you live your life in the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what he's saying. Christian as abundantly as God has blessed you, entrusted, you are to bless others. 
with a thoroughly biblical attitude. Now, let's stop and just see, identify the group of people to whom he is talking in this church. Who are the people to whom God or Paul is talking in this church? I want you to raise your hand. Oh, come. It says the rich. The rich. He's, th- this sermon is for the rich. Now, it's, it's a little bit more, and we're going to talk about giving and guarding, and then we get to the last, and we talk about glory and, and grace and all that. But the first word he's giving is to a group of people called the rich. And I was wondering this morning how many of our people at Heritage Baptist Church will admit that you're rich. What's the definition of rich according to Paul? Back up to verse 8. Remember, this, this says food and clothing. You got that? If you have, and the word there for clothing is really shelter. So, if you today have food, how many of you are probably going to eat today unless you're fasting for spiritual reasons or health reasons? Okay, you've got food. How many of you have clothing? That's patently obvious. How many of you have shelter? Then by definition, Paul says in verse 8, with these things we will be content. And if God has blessed you any beyond that, you are rich. And so the realization is he is talking to every one of us in this place. And this is not a suggestion that we just read. Let the rich in this present age. This is a command. This is imperative. This is, let me put it like this. Hang on. This is simple. But guys, because of the way we are wired and because of the fall, this is not easy. But Paul says it anyway. Some observations. Just looking at the passage. First, Paul makes no judgment about having wealth, which all of you do. Each of you has wealth. And, and you, you students, you're, you're largely living off of your parents at this point, but you have wealth. I thought I grew up poor. I didn't. I had wealth. I wasn't as well off as other friends that I had, but I had wealth. We had a couple of cars in my family. So wealth in itself is not bad. Paul never says that it is. It's always the attitude. We'll get to that. Second, here's the attitude that he says, do a check. Do a check. With your wealth, man, this is, I said it was simple. It's just not easy. Don't be high-minded. That's what the King James says. That's a really good translation. Don't be proud. Don't be haughty if you're wealthy. Have you ever been high-minded that you're wealthy? I shared an illustration last week about 
the, the kind of cars that we used to drive. That in itself was a revelation that I can be high-minded. I was being low-minded, talking about the rattle traps that we used to drive. You remember that? How many, a lot of you are in the same boat. I'll say the same thing I did last week. How many of you have ever driven, I mean, is your your go-to-work car a Rolls-Royce? I haven't either, but I've ridden and driven lots of Rolls-Canardleys. You remember what that is, don't you? Hey, I I think it's good for students to start out in a Rolls-Canardley. Rolls down one hill, can hardly make it up another. We've driven, so have you. You, you would admit, driving cars like, but don't be high-minded. Paul would not say, don't be proud. You know, we, we went to this thing, uh, uh, it's been several years ago, and there were all these really neat cars, Stingrays, and boy, the, the new Stingray is really good looking. And, and so, uh, you know, Stingrays and the Porsches, I'm talking about exotic cars and Lamborghinis and Ferraris, and, and then there was my old car over there. You know, there were a lot of people wanting their pictures taken with the Ferraris. Nobody want a picture, wanted a picture taken with mine. Now, I, I, this is not condemnation. Paul would not have put this in here unless we had a problem with it. Don't, don't get high-minded and you see somebody else that's in a different situation than you are and there is that temptation. I know it's there, I know it's there, because it's there with me. To, to think of what you're doing or what you have or what you're driving or where you live in comparison with them. And he says, look, rich people, don't be high-minded. And we're going to see a reason for that in just a minute. That's the second thing, because there is a tendency to be proud, to be even, I hate to say, th- this is a great humble group, I know. But there, even Christians can be snobbish about their wealth. Wealth doesn't make you better than being poor, and poor doesn't make you better than being wealthy. It's subtle. Why? Why not be proud? Here's why. Because as much as some people, and I've heard this over and over again, well, those guys down there on the corner, if they just worked as hard as I did, See, that's a high-minded attitude because hard work is good. Hard work for the glory of God without thought of what you're making because it is good. That is a good thing. But remember that it is the Lord who gives you power to give wealth. And Paul in another place says, look, guys, what do you have? Anything. What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you didn't receive it? And so those are good reasons. Third, we just finished singing about this. Trust in God alone. Set your hopes ultimately only on the God who gives and not on worldly riches. And there's just story after story. Jesus told the story, don't build your house on sand. And with the recent pictures that we've seen on the news, wow, 
out in California, go figure. And, and houses that were built that they thought were on solid ground, and the rain comes, and it gets underneath. Lowell, you make sure, don't you, that this, the foundation is solid, because what, did you see the pictures of some of those beautiful, magnificent homes that are just crumbling like a crushed styrofoam cup? And that's a picture of what Paul says. Don't trust on the uncertainty of riches. The riches are just like, they, they can evaporate just like that. And if you have them, use them. We'll talk about that in a minute. But if you have them, give glory to God because he gave them to you. But don't ever set your dependence, particularly in an ultimate sense, but also in, in a real sense in this life. Fourth, and this is, this is really, this is so cool for us because we're rich. Enjoy the wealth that God has given you. Did you see that? Did you see that up there? Look, look back at this in verse 17. God who richly provides us with everything to Enjoy. Now, if you wrote that down, I, I'd encourage you to write that down. Enjoy the wealth God's given you. But we're going to do a little bit of correction, biblical correction. Let's put another word, enjoy and employ. Okay? You need to put that down. Write that down. If you're using your smartphone, which I see some of you are, then you're at that verse and you can take those notes. Okay, I see those fingers moving. Hopefully, you've just taken that note. Employ comes after enjoy. So it doesn't stop. God is a giver. God has given us richly, look what it says again, everything to enjoy. What is one of God's names that is a favorite with people today. What, what's the one that you hear more than any other? I'm talking about his covenant names. Now, Moses, you remember, asked, who, who, are, who are you? Who, or he said, who do you say I am or whatever? And he said, I am. But we got to go back before that. The covenant name I am has been joined to other things. So what's the most prevalent covenant name that you hear today? How about Jehovah Jireh? He said, Paul said, our God is a living God who gives to us everything to enjoy. He is Jehovah Jireh. That's his name. And if you're not familiar with the story of Abraham taking his son Isaac to Mount Moriah, and God, in obedience to God, telling him, take your son and sacrifice your son, and he did it in obedience and Abraham's response to him was so incredible, and it should be a lesson for us. He named the name of the place when he was about to kill Isaac, and, and there was a ram caught in the thicket, and so he sacrificed the ram in the place of Isaac. Where do you think he's going with that? And he said, I'll tell you what the name of this place is, Jehovah Jireh. Now watch the tenses there. As it is said this day, 
On the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. What in the world do you think Abraham was talking about? He was shooting forward thousands of years to when Jesus would give the greatest gift. And we think money is the greatest gift. God is the giving God. He is the Jehovah Jireh who on the mount named Calvary gave the greatest, most infinite gift, the greatest inheritance through Jesus Christ. Listen, folks, that is love. You are loved by the one who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. And then he steps in again. He's still talking about the all things. How will he not freely with him also give us everything that we need? Now, here's what I want you to see. Okay, look again at verse 17. In your Bible, this is important. This is English, and it's been translated from the Greek. The letters that we have from the Greek don't have punctuation. There is not a neat delineation of chapter and verse. Where we end verse 17 with a period, and this, I, I think that one of, one of the things that we see in the interpretation of this is it automatically triggers something in us that makes it all about us and not about God. Oh, God. Yeah, I, I see that those preachers I was listening to on the radio were right. You're Jehovah Jireh. You've given to me everything to enjoy. There is not a full stop there. Do you understand what I'm saying? Enjoy and employ. It's not a full stop. He's, yes, he's given, he's Jehovah Jireh. He's given you everything to enjoy. He really has, but then he goes on into the next statement. Why does he give you everything to enjoy so that you will employ it? You will do good. You will be rich in good works. You will be generous and ready to share. And there are some of you, you don't know this yet, and maybe some of you have found out a little bit, and some of you who are older and you have enjoyed and employed your wealth that God has given you, you understand what it meant when Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Right? I see some heads out there nodding. You've understood that if it stops with you, if it stops with just the enjoyment, you will never get into true enjoyment that comes only with employment. And that's because this is what you're created to do. Paul says, he gave these things to you to enjoy so that you will employ them. Why? Because that's what we're created to do. We're created to be a conduit and not a full stop. And that's what he says about salvation. You remember Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for by grace you've been saved through faith, 
that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one will boast. And we often leave out verse 10. And it goes into, here's the reason for your salvation. You are his workmanship. You are a new creation in Christ, which you've been created in Christ for good works. And that's why it's so much fun for those of you who have learned to give and to give generously. Because that's what you were created to do. See the benefits? Why Paul would end with this? There were wealthy, there were poor people, there were wealthy people. And he's saying, guys, I just don't want you to lose the enjoyment with what comes with everything that I'm telling you. Financial gifts, listen to me, and this is not a sermon on tithing. We don't strong our people to give, and our, our, our people just give. I, it's, it's really... It's been kind of a head scratcher sometimes to some of us. We just, we don't make strong, we don't make appeals. We don't even pass a plate. This is a Baptist church. How are you going to survive? Because God's people who understand where you get your wealth and what you do with it, they just have fun dropping their checks into those pedestals back there or urns or whatever you, I don't know what you call them. And it, it just because that's what you're created to do. That's, that's why Jesus would say, and this, this sounds like a downer, okay? We always look at these and we say, oh, here goes that brand of Baptistology. Sell all you have and give it to the poor. This guy had wealth and he was missing the greatest wealth. He was, miss, he was missing it because he was missing Jesus, who in, in Jesus is everything, and you will have treasure in heaven. Hey, what's better, to have a Rolls Canardly for a couple of more years or to be walking the streets of gold for eternity? There's just, just no comparison. And Jesus and, and Paul and everything they did were saying, we just, we just don't want you to miss out. By giving your life away for baubles and trinkets. And that's what a lot of people are doing. This is the good foundation, okay, that we were talking about a minute ago. And it'll, it, it'll be here for this life. Now, here, here's another great one that Jesus talked about. Make friends with unrighteous mammon. Now, remember, money is neutral, but if you give yourself to it, then it becomes a a, a, a bad thing. So what do you do? Make friends. How do you do that? Invest your money in the things that is going in the thing or things that are going to do the best for maximizing the advance of the kingdom. And that's essentially what you're saying. Whether it's a mite, a widow's mite, or a dollar or ten dollars or 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 any amount that God leads you to give. Now before I get on to the Second point, which is he shifts gears a little bit. Let me give you a couple of things that are just, um, these are cautions. Why is it wrong to put a full stop after enjoyment? Are you with me? God gave, God gave you everything you have. Why is it wrong for you to stop there? We're not talking about throwing away and all that kind of, but why is it wrong to stop there and not continue in the investment? Well, Jesus said these three things, okay? Actually, he said 
he said two, and then Paul said one. Because if you do that, it can choke your faith. And you just don't want your faith choked. And, and in the parable of the sower, he said as much. The seed that fell among the thorns, those people are those who hear. And they go on their way, they're choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life. Not bad to enjoy those, just don't let them choke by becoming your focus. Second thing, it hinders your true discipleship. You want to follow Jesus, but you're after money. You're after those things that will get more money and all. And you can't have divided loyalties. You can't serve God and mammon. So it's going, it's going to hinder your discipleship, your, your followership of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then, and this is the worst thing that I alluded to a minute ago, it confuses your real treasure. And let me say again, it's not bad to save and to put back a reserve and to have something for retirement. We know all of those things. Just read the Proverbs. But what it is a hindrance to your walk with the Lord to do is let that become your focus because it will hinder your real treasure. It will hinder your worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why Paul said, look, I've, I've just had a lot, and I've got a lot of stuff going for me, but guess what? I count all of that to be loss for the worth of knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. That was the first point. Let's move on, okay? So we've got two points. That was the first point. This is the second point. This is going to be the third point. So here we go. Second point. Paul says, guard God's truth. Okay? Guard God's truth. He says, oh, Timothy. Now, it's interesting. He really gets personal. Some think that he, he was writing through uh, someone else. The inspired words of God, this guy was recording, and a lot of people think that this is where he, he was older. And so with trembling hands, perhaps, he said, let me have that pen and he addresses Timothy personally. Oh, Timothy. He wants, oh, Timothy. That, that's very passionate. When our kids were little, and I, I remember holding one of them. I can't remember which one. Might have been you, Katie. But she was talking to me, and she wanted me to give her her undivided attention. And I have a hard time doing that sometimes. I'm looking around. And so she did this, and she put my face right in front of hers. That's what, that's what Paul is doing. Oh, Timothy, look at me. Look at me, Timothy, because what I'm about to say is what I've been telling you all through this letter. Guard the deposit entrusted to you and run from, avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. If there has ever been a day in which we need that call, that command, it is today. And then he gives that warning about those who babble and get into all this other stuff by professing it. 
what passes for knowledge. In their minds, it's knowledge, and it's sold as knowledge, but it is devoid of biblical content. By professing it, some have swerved from the faith. So we've already said give. Now we're saying guard. Guard. This was to Timothy, but it's to every one of us. If you are in any way leading someone, then this charge is to you. Guard the deposit. Guard the doctrine that was given to you and avoid those people who preach different doctrine. Do you know this is the sixth time that Paul has told Timothy and every one of us? Go back through the sermons. I know you won't, but just take my word for it. This is the sixth time that Paul has warned Timothy, guard the teaching, guard the doctrine, hold on to the deposit that was entrusted to you. Now, get this, get this. This is important. Timothy, this was entrusted to you. Guys, this is entrusted to you. This is not something you made up. This is not something that in later generations you're going to have the privilege of adding to by saying, the Lord told me. And like I said, there's a lot of that going around, the Word of God, and more specifically, the gospel. Man, this goes all through Scripture. There were, there were guys that wanted to pervert the, the doctrine of God back then. You shall, you, you shall not um, alter the word... Uh, I think I typed that wrong. Okay, you shall not... I heard one person figure it out. Add to the word. Okay. You sh- not all to the word. You shall not add to the word that I command you, or you shall not take away so that you may keep the commands of the Lord God that I command you. Zip. Fast forward into the book, Revelation. What does he say? He says exactly the same thing to us right now. I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to them, are you listening? And that's why I've cautioned you against devotionals. That at least in the first editions, they will tell you that they got tired of this, and so they wanted something more. Sarah Young said that in Jesus Calling. That's why I caution you. Because this is serious stuff when we violate the... If you hear the words of the prophecy of this book, whether you take that as Revelation, just the end of it, or the whole book, I take it as the whole book. If anyone adds To them, God will add to him the plagues described in this book. I don't condemn people. That's God's business. But we do, like Timothy, we warn people to keep, to guard the deposit that was entrusted to them. If anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God will take away his share in the tree of life and in the holy city, which are described in this book. 
And that's why it's so important. And, and listen, guys, we don't do it perfectly at Heritage, but one thing that we pray about and we're seeking to do is take this as a template and we are seeking to be intentional about helping to guard all of you, your children, your students, and all of the rest of that. It may not look, and God bless them, other churches, all the rest, but we're trying to do this because we believe that it is our mandate to guard the good deposit that was entrusted to us. And we take seriously a command. By the way, this is not just a command for me. This is a command for you. Okay, here. Look, look, I'm pointing. Is that impolite to point? If I pause, that means you're really in trouble. (laughs) Be a workman that does not need to be ashamed, either now or in the last day. How do you do that? You rightly divide the Word, and you make sure you're in a church that, as much as possible, again, we're not going to get this perfect, but as much as possible, the leaders are seeking to rightly divide the Word. I've, I've actually attended churches along the way where the preacher would get up Okay, now follow me. And he would say, you know, I worked hard. I I prepared this sermon all week. But when I was sitting right there, or it was right there, used to, set up on the platform. Lord said, change that message. And all of the people in a lot of churches, oh, Oh, we're really going to hear from God today. The, the message, usually, I, I, I don't know, I'm probably being cynical. Just saying, that means he probably didn't have much prepared, and he's going to wing it. <laughs> and I'd probably do better to go down to that other Baptist church down the street where at least the guy may not be a real, real great preacher, but he has studied and he's going to give me the word. Nothing fancy. I don't know about you, but when I come into this place, I, I, I need the word. I, I need the word to help me and build me up so I can avoid the irreverent babble that's all around us, falsely called knowledge. I, I could be more specific. I'm not going to be because that, that is basically what we're about. Because what, what, is, what is it that he says? What's the problem if you, pay, if you pay attention to all of this ungodly babble? What does he say it'll cause you to do? Swerve. And you could end up in the ditch. That. You know, another illustration from one of my kids growing up. Jason, my oldest, of the three, arguably, now, arguably, because the other two will argue, the best driver of the bunch, okay? He, he, was, he was pretty easy to, to teach, to drive, kind of a natural. We're, we're, we're driving down the highway. I bet he remembers this. 
one day. We're going home. And we used to get up really early in the morning and do a paper route. Thank God those days are over. And so, so we're driving, and he's, he's over there like this. Hands on the wheel, all that. It's two lane. We're in the left lane. All of a sudden, I sense that the car is just going this way. And I look over at him, and he's like this. What do you do? What do you do? I, I, I wish I could remember uh, some of these things. Uh, I think this was, this was just wisdom. I, I could have yelled, Jason! Well, we would have had a wreck, hit a tree or something like that, or just let him keep on swerving. That's not good. So what I did was just reach over, put my hand on the wheel, and turned it back. And he felt it, and he woke up. We don't have to make a big hubbub, but if we just, in our ABF classes, in our Sunday school classes with our kids, in our adventure club groups, in our men's and women's Bible studies, and we just, we, we try to avoid, I know it's going to seem hard to some of you, we try to avoid what we consider is irreverent babble. It's devoid of really truth. We're not going to make a big flap. We're, we're just trying to grab the wheel, your wheel, okay, and just gently put you back on. We don't want you falling into the ditch. And that's what Paul said. That's, that's what he, he wanted for us. And I'll go back to that. I think it was there, 2 Timothy 2.2. 2. Yeah. And that's why discipleship is, is big. Uh, and, and I thank God for those faithful disciples. You're, you're all out there. Um, that was 1 Corinthians 2, too. Let me get on. There it is. Okay. The things you've heard in the presence of many witnesses entrust to others who faithfully teach. And uh, so... Again, the teachers, the workers that we have that faithfully teach. And that's what we're really all about. Last thing, be grateful for God's grace. So he gets to the end, and what does he say? Grace be with you. Again, it, it, this is really easy to miss um, in, in, the, uh, in, in the original language because they have more of a nuance of plural and singular. And I don't know why the translators translated a plural into a singular. But basically what he's saying is grace, Timothy, okay, whole church. Grace be with y'all. Grace. You know, it's, it's all about grace to every one of us. The youngest needs God's grace. The oldest needs God's grace. And not just to get us in the door of salvation, but to get us through life in sanctification. We need the gospel of God's grace every day, every minute. And that's why in another place, wrapped it up, Paul said to the Ephesian elders as he was meeting with them, and now I commend you to what? 
a building program, another seminar to go to, this or that, a book, the latest book that has the mystery revealed. Avoid those. Please, please avoid those. I'm going to commend you, he said, to, the, to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up. That's where we started in Colossians with our reading today. Our goal is to see that you are built up and to give you that inheritance that outshines any worldly riches or wealth that you and I could ever imagine. So that's where the gospel comes in. Christ crucified for our sins according to the Scriptures. Buried, raised again on the third day according to the Scriptures. He is Jehovah Jireh. He is the one who is provided on the mount. Jesus as our substitute. And wouldn't it be great if your eyes, some of you in this room, were opened. Your heart was fertile soil. And that that word of the gospel got into your heart today. And you repented of your sins. You know, basically, you know what sin is that you repent from? Playing God and fighting God. And you realize, I, I, can't, I can't live life like that. I can't, get, I can't get to eternity like that. I need the real riches. So you turn away and you turn to Jesus who gave his life on the cross for sinners just like you and me. And folks, when you do that, and those of us who know that grace, and we're following that grace, aren't you grateful? Aren't you grateful for the grace of God that saves us, sanctifies us, and will glorify us? Father, I thank you for how your word just kind of cuts through all of the stuff that we put up that can get in the way of us following you and even knowing you. And so our sincere prayer is that if there is anyone here today who has never been savingly joined to Christ, that this would be the day of salvation. Hear your voice. Cry out to you in repentance and faith. Embrace the cross and the Lord Jesus, crucified, buried, and raised again, and coming again. And Father, I pray for those of us who do know you, that we would see your grace as sufficient for all. We, we would see that you have, you have graced us with so much, an abundance of provision to enjoy and to employ for your glory and for the purposes of advancing your kingdom. So, Lord, we give this to you, and as we wrap up by singing this song, help us to trust you and nothing else, Jesus alone. Thank you, Lord, for that. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.